KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. My name is Mike Hagan, and this is Radio Orbit. Happy Solstice. Merry Christmas. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Typically, you know, 
full moon and new moon celebration of the solstice and equinox celebrations. And for the you know, during the cold Siberian climates, the shaman would have to enter the, the Siberian homes called yurts through the primary winter entrance, which is the smoke hole or the chimney. So this is where we get the symbolism of Santa Claus with the sack of goodies with the house through the chimney. It's, it's actually very ancient symbolism for mushroom shamanism. And so, uh, you know, and often if, you know, if it was a small batch of mushrooms, the shaman would take, take the uh, mushrooms and place them, you know, by the fire inside the yurt to dry. And this is where we get the symbolism of hanging the stockings over the fire, putting the mushrooms uh, in the stockings to hold them up over the fire uh, to dry. And of course, the Siberian shaman are reindeer herders. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. It's about six minutes or so after 11 p.m. on the 25th of December, 2006. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year coming up. Happy Solstice for those of you who celebrate that. And everybody out there, hope you're having a great day. I hope you're uh, enjoying yourself as you're listening to this radio program. It is... uh, Christmas, so we've got a special show lined up for you tonight. A little taste of what you might get uh, coming at you there from iTom Lab, sampling a little bit of Jan Irvin's voice in the background there. Jan will be joining us tonight with his partner, Andrew Rutaji, in just a little while. But before that, let's take care of a little bit of business here. Thank you very much to my friend Debbie Johnson, as always, Free Range Radio Theater, finishing things up with. Scrooge and the Gang, A Christmas Carol, uh, Week 2, and uh, wonderful stuff as always on Free Range Radio Theater. Debbie will be bringing great stuff to you next year, and I'm certain of that, okay? Uh, Before her, every week, Kelvin and Jason doing it up. Jazz plus blues equals Yuletide cheer. Tech Radio, wonderful stuff always. Jeff Wheeler starting things off with Uncommon Light. 3 to 5 p.m. every Monday. I'm not even sure if Jeff was uh, in town or doing the show today. I didn't have an opportunity to listen this afternoon. Regardless, great radio on KOPN on Mondays and all through the week. So uh, join in with us, and I'm certainly glad to be a part of it here. So, All right, thanks to everybody who listened and participated last week. And, of course, to my good friends, Jay Widener and John Major Jenkins, Rick Levine, all of them. Thanks for their time and the talk, as always. Amazing stuff. If you missed it. It's on the web at www.mikehagan.com in the program archives. Just zip on over to the website there and you can check it out, okay? All right, tonight, like I said, Christmas, the birth of the Son of God, no matter how you interpret it, I guess. Uh, at my house, we sort of celebrate a couple things at the same time. I'm, I'm sort of one who's into the calendars of nature, the sun, the moon, movements, of the stars and the planets in the heavens. And for that type of a person, the winter solstice, which just occurred 
this year on the 22nd of December is an important day or a day of note. Uh, it's not always on the 22nd. It sort of rolls between the 21st and the 22nd, 23rd, depends, because the Gregorian calendar is an inaccurate calendar, and uh, uh, it just uh, doesn't track those things as well as something, for example, like, a, like the Mayan calendar might. But at any rate, that's another story altogether. Although calendrics is part of what we might be talking about tonight. So, at any rate, uh, the 22nd of December this year was the solstice. And, uh, of course, we celebrate that. And I also, though, uh, am sort of commiserate with the rest of culture in that uh, we celebrate Christmas as well. I mean, I was raised in a Christian tradition, and I still carry some of that baggage. And there's uh, there's some fun in it as well. I have... uh, you know, a three-year-old, <laughs> so that's pretty interesting. But uh, anyway, the three days between the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, right around there, those three days between the solstice and Christmas are sort of a combined holiday in my world. And, uh, yeah, my three-year-old was just a riot this morning. Oh, my God. I mean, well, first of all, I really suck at, racking, at uh, wrapping presents and... I've always been really terrible at it, but now I don't really. Now I realize why I'm not good at it because it doesn't matter at all. My, my boy has no interest whatsoever in what the outside of the package looks like. He just tears into them, and uh, you know is completely uh, absorbed with the with the gift. And it, you know, it's really weird too. There's all kinds of strange things out there for uh, for kids and. I'll, I'll make one example here of this one toy that my son got for Christmas. And, you know, we didn't, we tried not to go over the top. We didn't get a whole lot of stuff, you know, sort of worthless toys. But um, there's this one in particular that he was insistent upon. He saw this, um, a police motorcycle, this little model of a police motorcycle in a store months ago. And, you know, it has some buttons on it. It makes noise and the siren goes off and the policeman's voice comes on and uh, the thing rolls across the floor or whatever. But anyway, when I was actually playing with the thing within this afternoon, I was sort of taken aback by what the language that's used in with this little toy is. You know, when I spoke with uh, Jack Cole from Leap <clears throat> just a couple of weeks ago, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, right? The guy that runs Leap. And that, that program's in the archives if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about. But anyway, when Jack and I were talking, uh, you may remember that I mentioned how when I was younger, and certainly many of us out there, you know, you remembered the police, the cops, as your friends. You know, they were the guys that you go to when you really needed help. And, you know, there really wasn't uh, a fearful situation. You weren't in, uh, inherently afraid of the police. <coughs> Pardon me, I've got a little bit of a cold here tonight, so you'll have to bear with me. But uh, anyway, ah, yeah, there I get a little bit of a wet whistle, so hopefully that'll help things out. But anyway, like I'm saying, when I was a kid, the the, the cops were my friends, and I wasn't afraid of them. Now, uh, this little toy that my son has, you push the button, and you know it has this random selection of uh, digitally recorded audio clips that have been embedded on a chip that's somewhere inside this little thing. And it says, uh, 
pull it over. Out with your hands up. You're surrounded. Uh, I mean, it says all of this uh, really aggressive stuff that basically paints the cops as, you know, somebody who's going to be coming after you for some reason or another. And I don't know, I was just really sort of stunned by it and not at all encouraged. But anyway, we joked about it. And, that, you know, it's when you, when you recognize it, you can obviously sort of uh, maneuver the child away from this particular perspective or that. Hopefully you can. But it's so difficult, you know, uh, raising children in an environment like this. And I don't just mean here in this country. I just mean in the world sort of the way it is right now. You know, I was telling him the story of uh, Santa Claus last night. You know, every night when we go to bed, he wants to hear a story. So, you know, I'll lay down with him in his bed for a few minutes and tell him a story if it's, you know, if it's a night that I take him to bed. And for the last month, you know, he's wanted to hear the story of Santa Claus and the reindeer. So, you know, I tell him the story. And I, you know, add this or that, and I, you know, use artistic <laughs> uh, license whenever I decide to. But last night... It sort of hit me again, you know, something. And I realized, you know, you have to be really careful with your language. Uh, I was talking about uh, the elves being uh, almost finished up with all their work in the workshop and all the toys that they were making, the choo-choo trains and the dolls and the books that they were writing for children and all the things that they were going to pile up into Santa's sleigh to go around the world and deliver to all the good girls and boys. This is what I said. I actually use those words, you know, and I've said it many times. I'm sure I'm not the only one, probably. But, you know, I talked about uh, Santa's going to go out and deliver presents to the good girls and boys, right? In fact, people, you know, people use that as a, as a, as a ploy. You've got 30 days between, you know, November 31st and December uh, 25th. Maybe that's not 30 days, but close enough, you know, where you can say, hey, if you're not a good boy or if you're not a good girl, Santa's not coming, you know. Anyway, it's such a ruse, and I had to realize that, you know, there are plenty of good girls and boys that don't get a lick for Christmas. And um, so I sort of had to reconcile that and change the language where... I mean, I didn't, I just, just off the top of my head, I said, you know, the, Santa will deliver toys to the lucky girls and boys. And I'm not even sure if that's appropriate, but it was the only thing I could come up with under the gun. But at any rate, it's difficult uh, trying to parse all this stuff with, you know, reality. So, anyway, it's a challenge as all things are, but it's also a wonder this morning, the Christmas thing and opening presents and the, you know, the the fun of the whole thing really is... Amazing, and it's really co cool, you know, for the children. And all children should be able to experience something like this sometime, you know. Anyway, okay, whatever. There are lots of ways to celebrate, right? There are lots of reasons to do so. And uh, tonight we'll look at an alternate, uh, alternative view of the tradition and the history of Christmas with Jan Irvin, Andrew, uh, and uh, I should say, and Andrew Rutaji. We'll also mix it up with the music of ITOM Lab. We started things off there with Ethnopharmacoastrotheology. More from them along the way tonight. All right, so uh, let's see. What do we got quarter after? I think I'm going to play another piece of music here, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back and talk a little bit more. Got a few things to mention before we do space weather, maybe a little bit of news before the end of the hour, and we'll have Jan and Andrew 
with us uh, straight up at midnight, okay? All right, it's Mike, and uh, you're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. And here's another tune from iTom Lab. You might recognize the sample in the background of this one, too. It's Mike, you're listening to Radio Orbit, back in a few minutes. out in those dimensions. 
Transformation, featuring Terrence McKenna. That's ITOM Lab. And this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. It's about 21 minutes after 11 on Christmas night here, the 25th of December, 2006. Good to be with you all. Hello to everybody out there listening uh, over the web or over the traditional airwaves, whether you listen to the show live or otherwise. We do stream the show live right now and every week via Cosmic Waves Radio. On the web, www.cosmicwavesradio.com. And, of course, we send it out over the traditional airwaves from KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM in Columbia, Missouri, and uh, serving all areas around mid-Missouri here. So thanks to everybody out there, whether at KOPN or at Cosmic Waves, that helps get the signal out there to the people that want to listen to the program. All right, everybody, we appreciate it, and you guys make it happen every week. All right, thanks also to uh, Larry the Web Wizard, speaking of making it happen, as always, doing great stuff on the web. He always has interesting things to say and to do. He's a great artist and always incorporates that into the website. Go on over there and see for yourself and... uh, there's no reason not to. It's free and inviting. So check it out at www.mikehagan.com. To all the people out there sending art, music, poetry, this music tonight, iTom Lab, for example, uh, fit perfectly with the program that we're going to do tonight. And it came to me, you know, serendipitously. So anyway, awesome. Send more. Send more. And, uh, you know, if you do send it and you don't hear it, Feel free to send me a note. I'll tell you if I got it. And, you know, it's probably that, you know, I try to fit the music to the programs. I only do the show once a week. I get a lot of different music. And, you know, some of it, you know, I'm like I'm like everybody. There are some things that, that I like and some things that, you know, that I like more than others. So, you know, that's just, you know, the way the, way the world works or whatever. But I'm certainly not uh, interested in, you know... Uh, sliding anyone or anything like that and I'd love to chat with you and I'll listen to anything that anybody sends me and if you don't hear it you know feel free to ask me about it because uh, you know there's probably a reason that I'm that I didn't play it or maybe I'm going to play it in the future I just haven't found the right fitting program or something like that so at any rate we uh, we love all of the artwork that you do whether it's music or whether it's visual art or poetry literature we've got wonderful area set up for all of this stuff on the web now, on the forum, and uh, again, hats off to Larry for putting it all together, but it's a great opportunity to get out there and uh, see what other people are doing and share what you're doing, so I encourage everyone to visit us at the website, and uh, when you're over there, take a, peek in, uh, take a peek over in the forum, which is always interesting, lots of topics being discussed, and you never know what's going to be posted up there. And there's also some really valuable threads that have, you know, interesting and pertinent information that might come in useful, you know, someday, sometime. All right, also, there's a live chat room up and active, as we do every Monday night. Lots of people uh, in the chat tonight. Hello, everybody over there. See some new faces as well. Well, I guess they're not really faces, but, uh, you know, cyber faces. And uh, it's wonderful. So thank you all for joining us, and we'll be peeking in there as we move through the program tonight for questions and comments, and I encourage all the guests that we have on the program to visit us in the chat room and also on the forum if they're uh, so inclined. It's a great way to communicate with your listeners and with the people that are interested in your material, okay? All right, uh, the email address, 
Orbit Radio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, Orbit Radio at AOL.com. On the web, www.MikeHagan.com. And uh, let's see, let me take a look at the clock. Uh, <laughs> the clock. The clock. It's about 25 after, and I've got a little bit of a technical challenge coming up. I've got Jan Irvin in California and Andrew Rutaji in Dallas, and I've got to get them both on the line, so I'm just uh, taking a look at the clock, that's all. Anyway, we've got plenty of time here to talk about upcoming guests, so let me do that now. As I mentioned, tonight, Christmas, Jan Irvin, Andrew Rutaji, authors of Astrotheology and Shamanism. They're also uh, the guys that did the Pharmacratic Inquisition. It's an amazing video that you can find online. They have a couple of websites. I'll mention them now and a couple times through the program, I'm sure. But uh, the primary one is www.gnosticmedia, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, media, M-E-D-I-A, dot com. That's gnosticmedia.com. All right, and they've written this amazing book, Astrotheology and Shamanism, and they're both very uh, interesting young guys. All right, so we're going to talk with them in just about 35 minutes, and it's the Christmas special. All right, so we couldn't couldn't let Christmas go by without doing something for Christmas. So this is my way to say Merry Christmas to everybody. All right, okay. Next week is New Year's, and uh, lucky us, we get to do a show on New Year's Day, and we'll have Rick Levine with us. He visited with us for a short time with Jay Widener last week. Of course, Rick's been on the program once before. He's the author of, well, he does a couple of things. He has a website called uh, tarot.com. He also is a major player in the website called stariq.com, which is an astrology website. Uh, tarot is as well. And he was involved with a video production that Jay Widener made with Sharon that's called um, it's called Quantum Astrology and I have a copy of it and it's amazing I've never considered astrology the way that I consider it now you know uh, again that's baggage that's carried from indoctrination or whatever but my god Rick Levine um, really lays out a interesting and uh, and beautiful picture of, uh, of astrology the way that he understands it and, and teaches it. So anyway, he's an interesting guy, and he's got a great personality, a great sense of humor. So we'll have him next week. We'll talk about 2007, what's on the horizon for us in the cards of the tarot, and uh, what he saw in 2006, how that whole thing shaped up, and what he thought versus what actually happened. And we'll have a real fun time with Rick Levine next week on New Year's Day. That's the 1st of January. Uh, come on back at 11 p.m. like always, and we'll have... Rick Levine with us, and we'll do a special New Year's show, okay? Uh, the week after that, the 8th of January, I don't have a guest, but I have a wonderful interview that I did a couple weeks ago with Stephen Herod Buner, and I think I'll edit that and probably air that interview during the program on the 8th of January, unless something comes up and, you know, there's there's a, a good reason to uh, to do a live show that week, and there very well maybe I'm running into all kinds of interesting people these days, and... Speaking of that, the 15th of January, we'll have Dr. Kevin Warwick on the program. He is a renowned scientist in the United Kingdom, in England, and has been for a long, long time. He's a, a, a very forward-thinking scientist there, and he's a professor 
of engineering at uh, Reading University, but he's also like the world's first cyborg. He uh, he's practicing what uh, most physicians don't practice, and that's uh, uh, using his medicine on himself. Well, he's interested in cybernetics, and he's done all kinds of bizarre things. He's implanted himself with all kinds of little devices and chips and neural implants, and he's done the same thing to his wife, and he has a strange sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe a remedial telepathic connection with his wife through these neural implants where they can actually sort of communicate with thought. <laughs> and uh, anyway... Dr. Kevin Warwick, he'll tell us all about it on the 15th of January. And put his name in Google or something. It'll blow your mind. The guy's outrageous. And he's a genius. I mean, he's you know been recognized for many, many years as one of the most you know uh, important and forward-thinking scientists in England uh, around. So anyway, we'll have him on the program on the 15th of January. 22nd, Star and Michael will be back with us. We'll do the one, two, three thing. Paul Laffoli, one of the most amazing artists I've ever seen. Uh, he'll be with us sometime, probably in February, maybe March. We were talking about doing a spring thing after he does uh, an opening of a show for some of his artwork that's coming up in March, I think. But at any rate, Paul Laffoli, again, uh, an amazing artist. And if you're interested in this stuff, uh, his last name is spelled L-A-F-F-O-L-E-Y. And I, and I think he has a website at Laffoli. Dot com, L-A-F-F-O-L-E-Y dot com. Anyway, amazing. Uh, Dale Pendell, still trying to work things out with Dale. Jim Beard, he'll be with us. He's my grandfather in the native tradition, an elder in the Lakota people nation, and one of my great friends and someone who I hold real close to my heart and who teaches me a lot. And uh, I'll finally get him on the air here sometime in the next few months, all right? Well, I don't know, lots of other things coming up, but... Uh, We'll leave it at that for now, all right? Okay, it's about 11.30, a little bit past that. Let me say a couple of quick things here for KOPN. Then I'll play a piece of music, and we'll come back and do a little bit more, okay? All right, uh, let's see. When you listen to KOPN, do you ever wonder, how do they do that 24-7, 365 a year? Well, we do it with volunteers. KOPN needs volunteers to help with web page, morning and afternoon office assistance, designing bulletin boards, production needs, Editing, news reporting, uh, everything up to doing music in the middle of the night, you know. So schedule your tour or interview. Call Jules, 874-1139, or send an email to mail at kopn.org. All right, that's Jules, 874-1139, if you're interested in getting involved down here at KOPN. Also, uh, the new transmitter, we ordered it. It might even be here. I don't know if the, I mean it's. I know we're we're you know we're working on the installation and all of the stuff that's happening out there, uh, at the uh, on the property where we actually have the tower. There's some improvement that has to be done out there. There's sort of a little shed or shack where all this stuff is sort of housed, and we're doing improvements on all that stuff. But anyway, it's in process, and we've got the thing ordered, and it's going to be here. We'll be on the air with the new transmitter. Hopefully, end of March. I think is the schedule. I think we have to be by April 1st. Um, according to uh, some particular commitment that we have. But at any rate, it's going to be soon, and we're really excited about it because it's really going to do a lot for the uh, quality and the um, reliability of KOPN signal. 
So thank you for everybody who out there who who has helped us with this and and who is um you know donating their time, their money, their resources, whatever to KOPN to help us continue to to do this and to to thrive in an in a, in an in ever increasingly competitive radio market. And we're trying to stick uh, stick in the race and uh, you know keep up with the times. We're working on improving our internet and computer technological you know uh, situation here at the station where we can stream the signal all the time. And uh, anyway, we we need your help. We always have, and we appreciate it from everybody out there that gives it to us. Okay, so thanks a whole lot. All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It is KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. And like I said, about 11.35 in the p.m. And we'll hear another song here from I, Tom, Lab. This one is called NNDMT. Thank you. 
right, once again, that's ITOM Lab. And this is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. Merry Christmas. Happy Solstice. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you celebrate. Have a nice day. All right, that was uh, NNDMT. And for all those people that are going to get bent out of shape about uh, drugs or something, you know, dimethyltryptamine, that's what they're talking about there in that song. Actually, they're talking about psilocybin. That's what the two ends are. But anyway, DMT is in your own brain, all of you. Okay, whether you like it or not. Announcements before we get going. Well, we've already gotten going, but before we get going any faster, a couple things. Uh, Kent Stedman, my friend, I promised that I would say something on the air for people who are wondering where Kent is. He hasn't updated in a few days. He got hacked uh, very severely, his computer system, and um, sort of down for the count for a little while. Hopefully not too long. He'll be back. You know, Kent can't hold him down for long. But anyway, it was really nasty what happened to uh, him and his equipment. And, you know, it's amazing. He's about as secure as they come, too. And I guess it just shows you whoever, I don't, you know, I don't know who the heck might do this stuff, but whoever it is, if they want to get you, they're going to get you. Kent, he said that uh, basically what, <laughs> what happened was uh, uh, for about three seconds, uh, some language appeared on his screen. I won't use the language, but essentially it said, we got you. And flashed a couple, three times, bam, bam, bam. Next thing you knew, everything Goodbye, including backup drives, the whole bit. And that was through, you know, through his security before that happened, I guess. So anyway, uh, I don't know. I don't know why or, you know, what gets into people. I don't know if they do it on purpose or if they're getting paid to do it or whatever. But regardless, it's, you know, frustrating behavior. So stop it, please. You know, teach us how to come on over to the light side and teach us how to, you know, Avoid that happening. All right, what else? Uh, I want to say welcome to all the uh, the new members over at the forum. We've had a lot of new people join over the last week or two, and I just want to say hi to everybody. There's some real lively conversation happening over there, and that's what I really dig. That's sort of where community gets built. And I've been talking a lot lately about this phrase, find the others, that Terrence used to use, and Terrence actually got it from Tim Leary. Tim Leary was asked one time uh, in an interview, I forget who, who, who he was speaking to actually, but uh, somebody said, well, what do you do after you t- turn on, tune in, and drop out? And he said, find the others. And uh, anyway, I've always been struck by that particular phrase, and one of the sort of mantras of Radio Orbit is that phrase itself, find the others, and it's interesting because the forum is an opportunity to do that. There's lots of like-minded people, uh, you know, not clones, but certainly people that have an interest in, you know, maybe one thing in common, that is, you know, that they're curious, and they're interested in, you know, looking beneath the surface of things, and that's what I really dig, but at any rate, I had this sort of strange epiphany or uh, I don't know maybe that's too strong a word for this thing but you guys are going to laugh but this whole MySpace thing that's going on you know MySpace this MySpace that I used to totally poo poo the whole thing 
even though I actually have a MySpace page, and I've had it for some time, but I never really paid any attention to it, right? Well, recently, I, I was messing around over there because, you know, it's sort of like, okay, well, what am I missing? Uh, because, you know, all the young people are in, interested in it and have their own stuff, and they spend a lot of time there, and there are other, other sort of similar incarnations, Facebook is one of them, you know, and then you have Tribe and all this stuff, but anyway, MySpace seems to be sort of the front runner in this whole uh, networking, friendship building sort of uh, technology, and it's quite amazing, actually, as uh, as I get more and more uh, knowledge of it, and I sort of realized uh, that I shouldn't really poo-poo it. And it's like the iPod <laughs> that I talked about months ago. You know, you can use it for mundane and superficial reasons, but you don't have to. You can use it for amazing things, too. I went in the little search engine there, and I put in the words Terrence McKenna, just for kicks. And I came up with some 3,000 hits of people on MySpace who had... Terrence's name somewhere in their profile, which meant something, right? So these are people that I think, you know, these are some of the others. And so MySpace and other online technologies like this are literally like, you know, an artifice now that's being hardwired to do exactly what our mantra wants to do, to find the others. So I'm making an effort to use that more. And I've had a tremendous amount of success and I've met a lot of really cool people in the last few weeks doing it that way. And some of them are here listening to the program. I know tonight. And I appreciate it. Everybody out there who's listening and uh, new friends and old friends, all of you. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Okay, look. Um, I'm going to play another piece of music here. And I'm going to read a little something over it maybe that I came across and uh, we'll come back maybe do a piece of news or two and then at the top of the hour we'll have Andrew and Jan okay, the authors of Astrotheology and Shamanism and uh, the two outrageous guys that did Pharmacratic Inquisition okay? alright it's Mike and you're listening to Radio Orbit KOPN Columbia and this is Euphoric Vortex. Once again, ITOM Lab on Radio Orbit. It's Mike. Back in just a few. human heart can go to the lengths of God. Dark and cold we may be, but this is no winter now. The human misery of centuries cracks, breaks, begins to move. The thunder is the thunder of the flows, the thaw, the flood the upstart spring. 
Thank God our time is now. When wrong comes up to meet us everywhere, never to leave us till we take the longest stride of soul men ever took. Affairs are now soul size. The enterprise is exploration into God. But will you wake? For pity's sake.
Alright. Euphoric Vortex. Again, ITOM Lab. Great stuff. You know, I don't know a whole lot about them. All I know is, again, they have this MySpace page. So if you go and you put ITOM Lab in the little search engine there, you can track those guys down. Or you can probably go find them in My Friends somewhere, or in uh, Jan's or Andrew's probably. But anyway, great stuff there from ITOM Lab. All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. It's about seven or eight minutes before midnight now on the 25th of December, 2006, approaching 2007, just a week away. As I said, we've got a New Year's show coming up next Monday. We'll have Rick Levine with us. But uh, tonight, Jan Irvin and uh, Andrew Rutaji. It's going to be an amazing show. We're going to talk about Christmas traditions that maybe you aren't that familiar with. Maybe you are. But we'll do it, okay? Let's do a quick bit of space weather here, though, before we get there. And uh, let's see what's happening up there in the stars above your heads. Like I said, the 22nd was the solstice. We'll talk about the significance of that later, probably with Jan and Andy. But, uh, you know, to make it, simple, make it simple, the winter solstice is, you know, the longest night of the year. This is the, this is the shortest day. And it stays short for a few days, and then the days start to lengthen up until June, the solstice then, when we have the longest day, the shortest night, and the thing cycle reverses or whatever. So, And then we have the equinoxes in between, you know, in March and in September. And again, the dates vary because of the calendar. The Gregorian calendar is not accurate for tracking these sort of things, so it, you know, it's not the same every year. But it's usually the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, something like that. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that more with the guys in just a few minutes here. But at any rate, uh, the solstice was the 22nd, and of course Christmas the 25th today. Tonight, if you were peeking out, you'd have seen a fine little crescent moon, maybe about a third full up in the south southwest, and uh, a couple of relatively bright stars in the vicinity there. You'd see Lambda. Uh, Lambda Aquarius, I mean, over there to the right of the moon. And then Uranus, actually. The planet Uranus is down there a little bit below Lambda. Slightly to the left. But anyway, uh, tomorrow night, sort of similar. Although, just a little while after sunset tomorrow, if you look in the east, east-southeast, if you're in the Midwest here, you'll have to sort of adjust accordingly. But uh, as it gets sort of darker twilight, you'll see... The two brightest stars in Orion, the constellation Orion, one of them is called Betelgeuse, sort of a reddish star, and then uh, Rigel, which is a bluish, sort of bluish-white star. But anyway, if you look midway between them, you'll see like a vertical line of three stars that uh, make what they call the Hunter's Belt. This is what uh, Robert Frost called, uh, or described in the scene, uh, in the opening lines of the Star Splitter. He said, you know, Orion always comes up sideways, throwing a leg up over our fence of mountains. And anyway, you can see that, uh, the inspiration for that particular line uh, tomorrow night in the sky, all right? Wednesday the 27th, about two and a half hours after sunset, east-southeast again, you'll see Sirius, the dog star, the brightest nighttime star. Uh, you'll see this thing... Uh, Twinkling blue and white. It's amazing. Just look down by Orion's belt, follow it downward toward the horizon. Let's see, what else? Thursday, you'll see Sirius rise again. And then if you look 
there's sort of a, a, a triangle. They actually call it a name, the uh, snow, the winter triangle. Uh, the winter triangle. It's these three stars that com- are comprised of uh, Betelgeuse, Sirius, and then Procyon. And uh, you'll be able to see that configuration on the thir- on uh, Thursday night on the 28th. What else? Friday. Oh, I don't know. Nothing that interesting going on on Friday. I mean, there's always interesting stuff. You know, I just don't want to beat it to death. All right. All right. What else? Um, as a matter of fact, on the 25th uh, tonight, the moon occults Uranus. As a astronaut, uh, astrological note, that is of interest. The moon occulting Uranus tonight. We'll have to ask Andrew and Jan if that means anything to them. Uh, at any rate, uh, that's happening on the 27th. What's going on? NASA Glenn Visitor Center. They have an event there, the Eye on Propulsion. That's in Cleveland. That'll be a worthless thing. Uh, Johannes Kepler's 435th birthday. Here's to him. Raise a toast. Johannes Kepler, one of the one of one, one of our uh, fellow heretics. You know, until everyone realized he was a genius. Uh, December 27th. That'll be his 435th birthday. He was born in 1571. What else? The 27th through the 5th of January. There's a week-long thing. Uh, the 24th Jerusalem Winter School in Theoretical Physics. The Lives of Low-Mass Stars and Their Planetary Systems in Jerusalem, Israel. Sounds like a Broadway thing. Uh, December 28th. Cassini doing another flyby of Titan. That interesting moon. Too bad we don't get all the data, but man, even the stuff we get is pretty interesting. That's probably why they shut Kent down. <laughs> anyway, uh, December 29th, second annual winter solstice celebration. That's happening in, in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut. I don't know why they're doing it on the 29th. Sort of a week late, but... Uh, let's see. You know, you have your, your, your usual comets and asteroids, you know, whizzing by. And that's about it. All right, uh, let's see. I'm going to play one more piece of music here. I'll read a quick story here from the news, then I'll do a quick piece of music, and then we'll come back with, uh, uh, with Jan Irvin and Andrew Rutaji, and we'll talk, about, uh, we'll talk about Christmas. But here's a fitting story that somebody posted up on the, on, on the forum. Listen to this. Virgin dragon to give birth in holiday season. This is from MSNBC, from the Associated Press. Uh, Chester, England. As Christmas approaches, a virgin mother is anxiously awaiting the arrival of her offspring. She's Flora, the Komodo dragon. In an evolutionary twist, Flora has managed to become pregnant all on her own without male help. It would seem the timing is auspicious. The seven baby Komodo dragons are due this festive season. So, we got a virgin birth coming in the the dragon world. I don't know what that means. But I think it's time to take a break one way or the other. Okay, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. And again, one more here from ITOM Lab. And we'll come back with Jan Irvin and Andrew Ritashi. This is called The Door Before. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. Back in a few minutes.
to Radio Orbit with Mike Hagan on KOPN 89.5 FM. That's right, this is Mike, and you are listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia. And it is just a few ticks after the hour of midnight, now the 26th of December, 2006. And we're going to welcome our guests on the air here. Their names are Jan Irvin and Andrew Rutaji, the authors of a wonderful book called Astrotheology and Shamanism. And they're also the two gentlemen who produced and presented, as a matter of fact, the online video that has made quite a bit of, uh, well, quite a wave, and it's called the Pharmacratic Inquisition. So, without further ado, we will just uh, zip right in and say, Andrew, welcome, and Jan, welcome back. Hi, Mike. How are you? Thank you, Mike. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you guys both. Glad we got the uh, phone situation worked out here, and you're both coming in loud and clear. Good. All right. Well, uh, Jan, you've been on the program before, so thanks. We had a great response the last time you were here. I'm glad that you're back, and it's wonderful to have Andrew on the air with you. It's going to be a wonderful program. We've got lots of people that are listening and have sent email and are uh, sitting there in the chat room posting notes and comments and questions and all that. So uh, so thanks for letting us get it together. It's going to work out great. Good. 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 Thanks. Okay, let's identify first. Which one, uh, so people can identify voices, Jan? Uh, that's me here. Okay, that's Jan right there. And Andrew, let's uh, hear you say a couple things real fast. Okay, this is Andrew. Okay, all right, so that's clear enough. All right, you guys, um, what I'd like to do, since it is Christmas and we're going to talk primarily about the traditions and the history of Christmas that you guys have interested, uh, interestingly sort of documented. Um, before we get into all the Santa Claus business and all that, I want to talk about dates. So perhaps let's do that first. Let's talk about dates and why they were chosen, for example. I mean, December 25th as the birthday of Jesus Christ, even, you know, even straight Christian scholars admit that no one knows when the actual birth w- would have been. I mean, they argue about this date or that date, but uh, let's talk about dates first, and then we'll move into some of that other stuff, okay? Okay. okay. Sure. Well, uh, the for the first 250 years of Christianity, the celebration of the so-called birth of Jesus was actually illegal, and it uh, wasn't really decided on until the late... <coughs> Uh, 200s, early 300s, and there are several suggestions. September, March, April were all dates, including December, were all dates that were suggested as the as the birth of, of Jesus. And basically, the December 25th day was associated with Dionysus and uh, uh, the mixing of of water or the converting of water to wine was called Dionysus uh, Epiphany and this was adopted as the Christians uh, day of Epiphany I think on January 5th or 6th or something like that as well 
Hmm. Uh, but these are all all similar days that were originally celebrated, and the Orthodox Christians actually celebrate Christmas on uh, January 5th or 6th. I believe it's the 6th, but and you know, and that's just because of the calendar shifts and things like that. Um, but with the with the day of of uh, December 25th being selected, it basically came down to that was the day that all of the ancient gods were were born, and uh, not only that, it was nine months from the spring equinox, which was the time of fertility and spring and inception. So uh, it was sort of natural to put it in December, um, and obviously the most the, more, the most obvious reason is that December 25th is the, the birth of the sun uh, in the sky, uh, the sun that gives us all of our light and life, our, our saving grace. What do you mean the birth in the sky? Well, it's, it's the day that the sun begins heading north again. From June 21st, roughly, at the, at the summer solstice, until December 21st, 22nd, the sun is literally falling to the south slightly each day. If we if we measure, uh, say, the shadows on the wall each day, it's it's slightly off because, you know, and if we look at the sun, it's slightly moved towards the south, and that's because of the rotation of the earth. That's what it appears to us, that the sun is moving to the south. <laughs> but when we reach December 25th, the sun doesn't just stop and bounce right back to the north. What it does is it basically stops and hovers for three days, and then uh, it yeah, okay. begins heading north again on December 25th, and that's actually the real New Year's Day. All right, so basically the solstice is the is that that marker where that's where it goes into the tomb, so to speak, and then uh, stays in that same position basically for three days, and then starts to move back to the north. Exactly. Okay. Wow. Okay. So so it was so it wasn't an arbitrary selection of dates by any means no well not at all no. and if you think about it it's a cycle that we go through uh, year in and year out and it's, it's always been this same cycle in the sky uh, stories are going to come about I mean you, you know that the sun appears to rise on the horizon in different locations mm-hmm. all year yeah if you pay attention uh, yeah well if you take a, a time-lapse photo of the night sky and you see the rotation of the stars, you know that stars also appear to rise on the horizon. Hmm. So when when you see this happening throughout the year, different stars rise on the horizon in the same place, and these stars are constellations. They're like gods. They have their own attributes, and stories come about from that. So uh, to think that this is yeah didn't just come from any arbitrary thing, no. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, from there. Let's move into some of the symbolism, okay? Because we, you guys, talk a lot about shamanic links to the symbolism of Christmas, which ties in, of course, to the calendrics and the the stuff that's happening in the sky, actually. So, uh, and again, that's the the term that you use, astrotheology, I guess. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about this shamanic link to Christmas. Symbolism, and then I mean uh, we can talk about that uh, ad infinitum. I think let's just start on it. Well, the uh, <laughs> go ahead. <Yeah>. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, we can 
start into it from a number of different directions. How does shamanism uh, connect with astrotheology and archaeoastronomy, what we were just discussing with the watching of the of the stars, and basically the uh, really the best place to link it into, in my opinion, Andy may agree with me, is with the Christmas tree. And the Christmas tree has associations with the Axis Mundi and uh, the uh, Igjasal tree and the sort of as above and so below thing. For, for people and who are for people who are who aren't familiar, what's the Axis Mundi? Well, the Axis Mundi is basically it's the pole, it's the poles, it's the north and south pole, it's the axis that the Earth rotates on, and uh, the the ancient cultures considered sort of this rotation. And you mentioned a minute ago, if you you know what put a put a camera on a Star. Well, actually, if you look at the North Star, that would be the best example. And you have time-lapse photography. The North Star, all the stars spin around a central point. And uh, so, as the as the uh, sky in this way, basically, that central point from the North Star coming down was considered the axis mundi or the the world tree. The the Yggdrasil tree, mm-hmm. and it, you know the the stars and the heavens up above, and the and the Chthonic realm, and the roots of the underworld below, and uh, so this is, you know, the 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 leaves sort of branching out as the stars in the night and things like that. But so this is sort of where this this uh, idea of the world tree, Yggdrasil tree, comes from, and because the uh, during the winter solstice celebrations, most of the plants are during the winter solstice uh, and during the deep parts of winter, most of the plants died, especially during the colder northern regions. Uh, and above the 66.5 degree latitude line, the sun is not visible uh, for for that time period. From you know, typically from the 21st until the morning of the 25th, the sun is too far below the horizon to be seen. Hmm. 24 um, hours a day. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so the, the during this time, most of the plants are, are dead except for these evergreens. And most of the plants that were evergreen, the, the fir, the pine, the cedar, the oaks, mistletoe, uh, the holly, these were all evergreens that survived this period of, of the darkest, coldest time of winter. And the tall... Trees were looked upon as, as sort of a. Uh, it was, it, they had a lot to do with fertility worship, and then what grew underneath them was also very important. Hmm. What grew underneath them? Andy. <laughs> <laughs> that must be short for something. <laughs> Amanita muscaria. That's the uh, the red and white peppered mushroom that we see the pictures of. Kind of getting ahead of it a little bit. Uh, I was wanting to interject something really quickly about yeah, the Yggdrasil tree. You can you can turn this sideways and not only look at this as a, a north-south uh, polar tree where the where it's the axis of the Earth. Um, when you think of the the sun rising and the sun is the deity that we're talking about, you look up to the heavens to the deity. So you look up to the east where the sun rises. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and when the sun is rising, that's the bright part of the heavens, and to the west, is the it's still dark. Right. So that's the below. 
So you can look at the east as above and the west as below. And on Christmas today, this morning, um, with the sun rises the constellation Aquila, the bird. And the bird, the, the, the symbol of the Yggdrasil tree, has the bird in the, in the branches. And then there's the earth. <laughs> and below is the root system with the serpent winding around the root system. And at this moment, at 8.30 in the morning, or whenever the sun rises in the morning on Christmas, uh, the bird Aquila is sitting right on top of the sun, <laughs> and below it, which would be the west, uh, is the uh, serpent. So that constellation is, is Hydra. <laughs> That's, you, so, you'll recall the, this, the military emblem with the eagle on top of the globe with the, the anchor. That is, uh, that's exactly the same sig- symbol that Andy's talking about. Huh, interesting. You know, one thing I wanted to mention, too, is that uh, a lot of the gods, uh, depending on which part of the world, you know, northern or southern hemisphere, were either born during the during one of the equinoctial or solstice points. Um, you know, so if, if you're south of the equator, you celebrated typically uh, the, the birth of the sun on June 21st. Right, right. And north of the equator, you celebrated it on typically on December 25th, so, or, you know, between the 21st and the 25th. And uh, many other gods were born and, and died on either the, the spring, the vernal, or, or fall equinoxes as well. Hmm. You know, you were mentioning uh, just at the top of the show, or before we came on, about uh, Orion rising on the horizon. You were talking about what the stars were going to be doing in the sky. Right, right, right the next day. few days here, yeah. Um, that is really a, an indication of when... Uh, this Christmas season happens. You know, the, the stars in the sky appear to rotate throughout the year. Uh, like I said, they different stars rise on the horizon at different times of the year. And Orion's and Orion's belt uh, rising sideways, as you said, uh, that's one of the constellations that that happens on this eastern horizon during this Christmas season. And if you were to go outside before Christmas, say if you were to go outside on the tenth of December and wait for Orion's belt to appear. Um, it would come up on the horizon uh, after dark, probably just before 7 o'clock. Okay. If you were to go outside and wait for Orion's belt to appear on the horizon after Christmas, say on the 10th of January, mm-hmm. uh, what you wouldn't see it because it would be too light outside. So this is that, that shift that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, what would happen on on Christmas or Christmas Eve uh, would be you go outside and wait for Orion's belt to appear on the horizon, and that happens at dusk. And these are the three kings that follow the star, the next star uh, being Sirius. They follow this star to the birth of the sun. This is where the birth of the sun is located on the horizon, so the sun being the savior. And again, this is the representation in the heavens of astrotheology. Right. In other words, the Magi, the three wise men, are not wise men. They're, 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 that's a metaphor for stars in the sky. Well, it, well, you, it's it's twofold because the ancient Magi were the ancient astronomers. Mm. Okay, so you know, they're, the Magi is where we get the word magic from. Those who studied the the stars and the plants and the 
you know, had the knowledge were considered the Magi. Yeah. So, right. God forbid these these traditions be ba- based in nature. That would be horrible. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's get back to nature. Okay, the pine tree is in nature, and uh, and and this there's this particular mushroom that grows beneath the pine tree. How sure. is that? Uh, however, how, how people are going to say, well, how how the hell can that be related to Christmas, though? Yeah, and what a what a great lead-in with the three with the three wise men. What were they bringing? This, this frankincense and myrrh were uh, those are saps from a tree. Well, and you know, it's all about plants, isn't it? <laughs> if anybody uh, caught their, uh, it's a it's an old repeat that the History Channel replays often, but it's uh, the history of Christmas, and in that, even the History Channel talks about how they used to hang apples on uh, the branches of the pine tree or the fir, and it wasn't really apples. Apples was a metaphor for what grows under these particular types of trees. And just as we celebrate and get inebriated during uh, the winter solstice celebrations and New Year's, and like I said earlier, New Year's was originally December 25th. They just separated it, and uh, the New Year's Day now ends the 12th day of Christmas under the old Yule traditions. Um, But uh, with uh, the celebration of... uh, what grows under the tree with the inebriation is is basically one of the oldest traditions in celebrating with all of the harvest and the food and everything that was reaped after the harvest season uh, in the in the late fall before the winter came. And so, with this inebriation came the the traditional search for the mushrooms, and the mushrooms grew underneath the evergreen tree. They grew in a symbiotic relationship with these with these certain types of trees. And so you have the tradition of the packages that appear magically overnight underneath the tree. They're basically the, the brightly colored red and white Amanita mysteria mushroom, and we symbolize that today. And today we bring the, the tree into our homes, and we celebrate what grows under the tree. And then, uh, but going back to these apples that the History Channel shows, is basically what they would do would be to find a central tree where they would find the Amanitas and then hang the mushrooms on the tree to dry them to make them lighter for carrying back to the to the uh, tribe. Right, so, because the obvious question is, well, wh- you know, why was the pine tree eventually chosen as the preferred tree for Christmas. You know, why don't we have a maple tree in our living room? Yeah. Well, it was it was that, and, and, you know, it's it's several fold. It's because the ancient uh, religions were often fertility religions, and you had these big, tall, straight trees that represented the male phallic, and uh, you had the mushroom underneath the tree that represented, in the early stages of its growth, it looks just like uh, the male phallic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so you, it was multiple fold. Uh, and it represented the sun, and the sun, as we show in our book, and as a lot of other scholars talk about, if you study uh, ancient fertility worship, uh, the sun was really considered the, the, the sky god's penis, and, uh, you know, in a lot of the, the different fertility religions. So you had this multiple level of the tree, the mushroom under the tree that was red like the sun, and then the sun itself. 
So, and then you had the World Tree Axis Mundi playing in a different uh, macrocosmic level. So the the Christmas tree or the the Yule tree, the the tree that's brought into the home, et cetera, is just the microcosmic representation of what's happening in the night sky on on several different levels. So this is the the tradition and. Um, you know, maybe you know. I'll let Andy tell you guys or tell your listeners a little bit about the uh, how the Caduceus plays with the Christmas tree. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that, Andrew. Please. Oh well. Um, I guess I guess the first way to lead into that is to explain what the Caduceus is. Yeah, yeah. For people again who aren't familiar, um, if you see your doctor, you'll see the Caduceus on his or her lapel. It's that symbol with the wings and the staff, with the two serpents climbing the staff. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll find it in the Bible. Moses raises this symbol to heal his people. He puts a serpent on a staff. Um, You'll find it in mythology, uh, Asclepius and Hygieia, where the staff is entwined. I guess if you take the personification away from the symbols... Um, you're left with just the staff with the uh, snake wrapping around it, and Hygieia would be just a bowl for and hygiene. Asclepius, again, is that, that's a constellation, right? Yeah, well, in, in mythology, well, yeah, yeah, but it's the, it's, it's the personified deity. Uh, you know, you, you give a character enough characteristics, and it becomes a deity. And, of course, you reflect on Earth as it is in Heaven, so... Constellations, the myth, okay. are all the same. But yeah, this this caduceus is a symbol for medicine. It's a symbol for drugs, and uh, it is the symbol for the Christmas tree. Especially when we put the uh, uh, angel on the top of the Christmas tree, because the angel is the wings huh. of the caduceus, mm-hmm. and then we wind wind the lights up and all that. Yeah, sure, sure. yeah, and the garlands and all that. Yeah, it's just uh, very interesting. But but the Christmas tree is the, it's so much more. You know, you decorate it with with the the oldest. I don't know if Yon just said this or not. But the oldest uh, Christmas ornaments that we can find are either uh, something edible or candles or these little old antique Christmas mushroom ornaments, little red and white mushrooms. The Anamita muscaria. That's amazing, you know, because Jan, when you were on the program, I don't know, it was five or six weeks ago or whatever, and we briefly touched on some of this stuff. I don't know if you remember, but... Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I, I had... I had no, I, don't, I, don't, I know you remember being on the program. I think we, I, I think we talked a lot about <laughs> Halloween, too, didn't Yeah, we, we did. But uh, at any rate, I had a bunch of listeners afterwards said, I have seen one of those ornaments on my Christmas... My, my great-grandmother... You know, gave me. I'm not kidding. I swear to God, I got a whole bunch of people that said we either have one or you know had you know a recollection of that when they were younger. So yeah, you know, uh, you know what's funny is when I first found that out, I it dawned on me. You know, my grandmother had been giving me these Christmas ornaments when I was a kid. So I went into the storage and started scrounging through all my Christmas stuff, and I came up with six or eight antique mushroom Christmas ornaments. And I mean, there are some of them are identical. They're they're this red and with white uh, white spots. It's, it's the Mario mushroom, the, the Smurfs mushroom. 
What about that, by the way? Let's take a left turn for a second. All of this representation of this particular mushroom in pop culture. I mean, are people aware of what they're doing, or is it just, I mean, is it a secret society, or is it just ignorance? It could be a domino effect, yeah, yeah. I mean, people are asking about that. There are people in the chat room that are saying exactly that. i got a guy that just writes, uh, uh, Mike, would you please ask... Uh, um, Jan and Andrew, what they think about the pop culture uh, representation of this mushroom? Well, you know, it's there's definitely people uh, that understand this information and sort of try and keep it out there in the fringes of society. You know, you basically have the masses who don't normally hear this information, and then you have those that are sort of pushing at the edges. And uh, Lewis Carroll with uh, Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. You have uh, mm-hmm. Walt Disney with all of his stuff. Um, you know, Walt Disney movies, Fantasia, uh, <laughs> just to name one. Uh, how about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which is actually uh, another, you know, taken from another story. But the apple there is representative of the the mushroom, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, Mario Brothers, the Smurfs. Uh, the Smurfs were three apples high. There were little Phrygian caps, which are symbolic of the Liberty Cap, which is also Psilocybe uh, uh, similaciata, which is a type of psychedelic mushroom. Um, they lived in Amanita homes. Um, you know, you had the Papa Smurf, who was the the shaman of the tribe, and Gargamel, who was the dark wizard or the dark shaman. Mm -hmm. They battled it out. Uh, You had the witch, and uh, she knew the a lot of the astrotheology stuff, and uh, you know. So these were obviously stories where they knew a lot of the information, and you know, Papa Smurf Smurf would be brewing up mandrake and belladonna and all these different things that were all psychedelic substances. And then it continues over into uh, Harry Potter with mandrake and belladonna and, uh, you know, flying on the brooms and all this stuff, which we I, I think I talked about in the last show, uh, what the broom symbology comes from. But, right, right. Gordon, um, you Gordon know, there's, even talked about that. Yeah, and uh, Richard Evan Schulte has talked about that. Uh, James Highfield in his book, The Physics of Christmas, talks about it. But, yeah, you know, it's it's. I think a lot of the time it's done consciously. I think there's always been a small percentage of the population that's continued this knowledge, even through the heaviest suppression and the inquisitions. Uh, you know, if you look at, um, you know, culture today under the war on drugs, I think this information has probably gained the widest knowledge. So, you know, it's even though it's had the, having the greatest suppression, it's still... Uh, getting through yeah so there you know there were always these small numbers of people and then there are always those that just use the symbolism because it's popular and they don't really follow what it means as well okay all right one more sort of side note before we get back on christmas you mentioned the psilocybe munch uh, mushroom and then we have the amanita they're they're definitely different but can you guys talk a little bit about the differences between those i know there are a lot of questions about that well, the location for one, one. But their chemistry is fundamentally different as well. Oh, completely. Oh, yeah. um, the, the look, well, shape, the growth cycle. Why is one of them so m- much more uh, profound in the in in the media than, in other words, why is why is it the amanita that that is more recognized 
than the other one, or is it just because of our cultural bent? Well, look at the look at it this way. One is popularized in the media, the Amanita, and not too many people know about its history and things like this. And the other is popularized in every college in America. So, yeah. Well, you know, and not not to mention going back to the pop culture and the fairy tales and the folklore and all that stuff, the Amanita coming from our European culture carried with it the Amanita, you know, the the stories of the gnomes and the fairies and the dwarves and everything that were all associated with these mushrooms. And in our culture, the the psilocybin mushrooms weren't even discovered until the 1950s. Right, right. You know, with with Gordon Wasson and uh, Maria Sabina. Right, right. So I think that, you know, our culture doesn't have the rich history yet uh, that uh, Amanita does. And I think, you know, as now it's been 50 years since our our culture, quote-unquote, discovered them, um... I think as time passes, we will probably acquire a, a deep uh, and rich folklore surrounding them as, uh, you know, because obviously they're becoming more and more common and widespread. It's not something that's uh, seen any any loss in popularity for certain. No, that's something that's, uh, I mean, that's sort of the, the, the genie's out of the bottle sort of scenario with this yeah. thing. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You know, but the the experience-wise, um, the psilocybin mushrooms have a congener form of DMT, which is O-phosphoryl-4-hydroxy-N-dimethyltryptamine. Uh, mm-hmm. And DMT is a chemical that's found naturally in our in our brains, but the uh, the hydroxy aspect of it creates an extra hydrogen molecule that prevents the the DMT from being destroyed in the gut and allows it uh, to be absorbed through through uh, ingestion, whereas straight DMT uh, has to be smoked or has to be taken with the Mayo inhibitor. Mm-hmm. And then the Amanita mushrooms contain what is called Musimol as the active ingredient along with ibotenic acid. Uh, Musimol is considered five to eight times stronger than ibotenic acid, Ibotenic acid, you know, some people like to take the mushrooms raw, um, but all of the science on the mushroom shows that the musimol, which is the dried, uh, the decarboxylated form of ibotenic acid, which is formed by the drying of the mushroom, the, the musimol is actually far stronger. So um, scientifically speaking, uh, most people suggest uh, drying your mushrooms for consumption, but it's, it's a wholly different experience as well. Hmm. What about uh, the the danger of the amanita? I know that there's never really been, at least pharmacologically speaking, a danger with the psilocybin mushroom, but I, I'm not sure if that's the case with the amanita. Well, I don't know that there are... There may be a couple reported deaths, but usually it's people mistaking them with something else and taking something like the amanita phloides or... Uh, Angel of Death, or one of these mushrooms. Uh, yeah, try not mistake. to take the Angel of Death. <laughs> right, in, in mistake for the Amanita muscaria or Pantherina, and uh, so that's really where the deaths come from. I'm not, sh- you know, it's uh, you know, like Jonathan Ott talks about in his research that that there don't appear to be any deaths. There may be one recorded death from them, um, but uh, they're few and far between. 
Uh, but, you know, if you take them every day, uh, which, you know, I don't really recommend doing, but if you take them every day, you're probably going to end up with liver failure and, uh, you know, have a lot of problems on your hands. So, right. Well, very few people take them every day. Very few. But, you know, I do know of some that do, and uh, I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Um, okay, back to Christmas, okay? So... The uh, the ornaments is an amazing thing. There's other there, there's other things, and I might mention that people might hop on the web and uh, check out the website of Gnostic Media, G N O S T I C Media, M E D I A dot com, and there's a lot of interesting stuff over there. But you can also uh, click on the image link uh, or images, and uh, if you page down a little bit, you'll see one that says Christmas imagery or whatever. And there's some great stuff there, and there's uh, it just sort of goes on and on. Let's continue with the uh, with the imagery and symbolism that we find in our in our traditions today that that go back to this same shamanic tradition. You know, you can look into uh, New Year's symbolism too, because Christmas is New Year's. I guess we've obviously pointed out when the sun starts moving back into that direction. Right. That would be the that would be the the the, uh, the logical decision for the for the New Year. Yeah. Not so that's an arbitrary day that's just sort of thrown out there religiously. Go ahead, Andy. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that's why we see these uh, Christmas cards, and that if they say, you know, Merry Christmas slash Happy New Year, and one of them we have on our website is includes a little angel holding a little Amanita mushroom, hanging it on a doorknob. It's an all-inclusive card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I think we should take a break, okay? All right. All right, let's do that. We've uh, got about 20 minutes before 1 a.m. now on the 26th now of December. And we've got Andrew Rutaji and Jan Irvin, the authors of Astrotheology and Shamanism, and also the producers and presenters of the Pharmacratic Inquisition. Andrew, you're with us from Dallas, Texas? Yes. And Jan's out in California. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm actually still on December 25th. It's uh, 1040 on Christmas night. So. <laughs> okay. All right, we're, right, we're, we're right on the cusp here. So everybody hang in. We'll be, we'll be back with, uh, with the guys, with Jan and Andrew, just in a minute. And in the meantime, we'll hear another one of these great pieces of music from iTom Lab. What are we going to play here? I think we'll play Cellular Twitch. Check this out. One more time. I, Tom Lab. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia. We'll be back in just a minute with Jan Irvin and Andrew Rutaji. <laughs> Thank you. 
cellular twitch. Again, the ITOM Lab. You can find out information about ITOM Lab at MySpace. Just go to myspace.com slash ITOM Lab, I think. Or get creative. You can find them. And I'll put a link up as soon as I finish this program. And, or I should, when I say I'll do it, that means, Larry, please do it. <laughs> All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. It's about 12.45 our time here in mid-Missouri, now the 26th of December on uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning, I guess. And we've got Jan Irvin and Andrew Rutaji, the authors of Astrotheology and Shamanism. You can find information on the web, again, about these guys at www.gnosticmedia, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, media.com and you can also find information at um, a website called Pharmacratic and I'm not going to spell it but uh, just you know use your brain Pharmacratic-Inquisition.com and uh, really amazing and interesting stuff that they've brought forth and they sort of hit my radar I don't know a year ago or so and I'm really glad to have been able to hook up with them and do some do some radio with them. So, without further ado, let's bring him right back and say hello. Hi, you guys. Hey. Hello. You yep. can link to that from our site, by the way. Yeah, I'm sure from Gnostic Media you can link right over there. So, so you were saying, so right now it is going on, it's almost 1 o'clock in the morning, and uh, yesterday, at this exact time, would be uh, the first moments of Christmas, right? This would be the, the, the first hours of, of Christmas. Right, right, right. And what, what's happening in the sky at this time uh, in the eastern horizon is the constellation of Virgo is rising. And at about 3.30 in the morning, she's right in her position, and she keeps rising up and up in the sky. And below her is uh, the constellation of uh, serpents, the serpent. And she looks like she's stepping on the head of the serpent, and right here in this area of the sky is where the sun is born. So the sun is born of this of this virgin, Virgo. This is where all of the stories come from. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you, there's something else that's happening in the sky, too, because i got a three-year-old, and he won't let me forget what's happening in the sky, and that's that there's a sleigh full of toys on its way with uh, St. Nicholas and... Uh, 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 a whole slew of tiny reindeer that are flying around. So w- what's that all about? Where are the, I mean, the reindeer, we've got to talk about them. Yeah, we have to talk about that. The, the shaman, <laughs> the, the shaman was a reindeer herder. It was part of their uh, quote-unquote job, their responsibility was to herd reindeer. And again, the North Pole. Right. Yeah, well, the cold Siberian, uh, North Siberian areas... You there? Yes, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, well. Yeah. Well, basically, uh, I guess I'll take over from there with the uh, with the reindeer and the story of the flying reindeer. It comes twofold. The Santa's sleigh part is actually sort of a, a symbolism that was overlaid on top of the story of Odin, uh, the Norse and Germanic god Odin mm-hmm. Woden. And uh, his chariot was pulled by goats, and his chariot was the uh, Big Dipper, and it would go around the, the North Pole. And so 
the the story of Santa Claus going around the North Pole with the sleigh, the the Big Dipper being pulled by the reindeer, uh, going around the world in one night is uh, all. It's basically sort of you know several folds there, but um, the going around the world in one night is mythological as well, and and it's uh, scientific too because actually. Uh, with, like I mentioned earlier, above the 66.5 degree latitude line, the sun is not visible, so technically speaking, and it's really six degrees further at the uh, 71 degree latitude line, which you're in, and you're right at the edge of the uh, Arctic Circle there, uh, is basically total darkness, but technically speaking, the, the night is three days long, so Santa has three long, it would be the equivalent of one long night, but three days to deliver the toys. Um, and uh, the the bag of goodies was traditionally the Siberian shaman would go out into the forest and look for the uh, for the Amanita muscaria and bring the, the bag of goodies back to the Siberian yurts. And the winter yurts were a lot sturdier and heavier duty building than the summer yurts that are uh, more light uh, mobile, but basically the the chimney was the primary entrance during the winter time, and uh, so this was how they would the, the shaman would enter with the bag of goodies into the yurt carrying the the bag, which was the mushrooms, and then they would dry them over the fire, and this is sort of the mm-hmm. symbol of the stockings over the fire and everything. But um, you know the flying reindeer. It's also well documented by many scholars that. Um, the reindeer's favorite food is the Amanita muscaria. Mm-hmm. So the reindeer eat this mushroom and they fly, and that's why the reindeer pulled Santa's sleigh through uh, through this long magical night at the death and rebirth of the sun. Okay, uh, what about the elves? Well, uh, the elves, uh, you know, the elves, the fairies, the dwarves, the gnomes, or these are all mythological creatures that are always associated with the Amanita muscaria mushrooms in particular, but other things as, as well. And they're sort of the little creatures that, you know, if uh, your readers remember a story called uh, Rip Van Winkle, right. uh, you know, he's the one that falls asleep under the tree and then, uh, you know, wakes up with a uh, you know, different uh, in a basically different world with little creatures and things. Uh, this is the same symbolism. Um, you know, it's it's uh, the same myth being carried down as is part of the, the little people of the world, the spirit world, uh, the world of the the you know the Catholic realm, and they you know the, the leprechauns. They you know they're found at the end of the rainbow, and the rainbow. Well, you have the symbol of rain first off, and uh, so after the rain, uh, you find the leprechauns in their pot of gold, which the, the, the dried mushrooms look like uh, gold coins, and they grow underneath the trees. So you, where, where the leprechauns' uh, homes are is underneath the trees. And um, so these are really just continuations of the same story being told and anthrop- anthropomorphized under different stories. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, and it's been turned into a $457 billion industry. 
I just heard that on an, on, an, on an earlier program today on this radio show. They said that this year, they, they, they estimate f- almost almost half a trillion dollars is spent by people, not on mushrooms, let me tell you. Amazing. On uh, alcohol and inebriation this time of the year, is that what you mean? Yeah, on something, you know, toys for the kiddies and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, whatever yeah. else. I mean, it's just a, a huge commercial holiday. I mean, it doesn't have to do with anything. It certainly doesn't have anything to do with Christ either, <laughs> you know? No, it you know, it really has, you know, well, Christ is from Crisco, which is oil, and anybody who is anointed is Christ. Um, and, uh, you know, that's... A, <laughs> The, the anointed Christ is, uh, it's kind of funny history there, but that has a lot to do with sun worship and things too, mm-hmm. but uh, as well as fertility with the season. But, uh, we probably shouldn't stray off into uh, fertility worship as of now. Can of worms. No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not quite yet. Um, yeah, I'm, we're actually starting to work on a, on a new book on, uh, fertility worship, so. Hopefully that'll be done in the next couple of years. Okay, all right. Well, we we may go there in a little while. I've got questions coming up about Clark Henrich and all kinds of different stuff. They, uh, as a matter of fact, that we might as well talk about that because this is sort of related to the reindeer too. There's a the the urine is significant in this whole story, right? Um, and one of the listeners asks, "What do the guys think of Clark Henrich drinking his buddy's urine?" But I think it's more significant than that. There's a general phenomenon that you can maybe relate a little bit. Well, I don't think anywhere uh, Clark talked about drinking his buddy's urine. I think he and his buddy drank their own urine mm. under the influence of Amanita. Um, you know, so that's sort of a misstatement. And I know there's another researcher out there that has been uh, misquoting people and saying things uh, like of that sort, but it's not true. Um, but uh, the urine drinking practice with the Amanita mushrooms is very common. What's the, what's the purpose of it, Andy? Well, you know, earlier he was telling me about the uh, the process of the mushroom that you know, it happens when it dries. Uh, this decarboxylation of the mushroom. Um, not only can you fill your belly, you can consume more, but as as you eat this mushroom, you more or less purify the psychedelic properties of the mushroom, and this comes out in your urine. So if you reuptake your urine or, or recycle or drink your urine, you're actually getting some of these properties from the mushroom again. So mm-hmm. you, the, primarily the ibotenic acid minus the, the mushroom plant matter is being reuptaken and then it's converted into mucimol and goes back through the body. Amazing. So you can you can eat your fill and continue to drink. You can take and eat and take and drink. It's 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 suggested that uh, the Norse and Siberian shaman started this tradition thousands of years ago by watching the the reindeer and the reindeer are very fond of human urine. They often eat yellow snow for the nutrients and minerals and things that it has in it. Um, you know, a lot of your listeners may th- find it disgusting, but urine. If you search urine therapy online, it's uh, urine is actually sterile mm-hmm. and it contains mm-hmm. a lot of. Uh, Antibodies that can be used for for healing, etc. Um, and uh, you know, so basically, the shaman probably watching the reindeer learn the practice, and the reindeer 
would eat the the snow of the shaman who uh, ate the mushrooms and would uh, would be especially fond of uh, mushroom tainted urine and uh, the the reindeer would also drink their own urine after they consumed the mushrooms so uh it sort of naturally got taken up as a process and then if you look at the word uh, orion uh, orion comes from uron which is urine hmm. and uh you know like the, the ouroboros is uh, i think on, on several fronts, it's also associated with fertility worship. The Ouroboros is also associated with uh, recycling the, the living waters. The, or, the Ouroboros the, being the snake that eats its tail, that thing. Exactly. Okay. And uh, I, sometimes I forget not everybody knows what that means. No, I just right. want to clarify for people, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but this, this uh, serpent figure was uh, synonymous with the urine drinking custom and uh as was the caduceus and it's um it you know so the the ancient practice of this urine drinking custom is very common not only shamanically speaking it's in the in the a lot of the hindu texts as well and uh you know the hindus today have have a practice of drinking their own urine for for health and it's a very common uh, i don't remember the name they call it but I'm sure it'll pop right up if you search urine therapy. I'm sure the Indian name would pop right up on Google. In, in the Bible, it even talks about that. Uh, the book of John uh, quotes Jesus saying, Out of his body shall flow rivers of living water. In Proverbs, it tells us that we should uh, drink water from our own cistern, running water from our own well. Hmm. So, Is there any record of... Uh, the same practice with psilocybin use. Any record? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I mean there's is the urine practiced uh, with with that particular compound as well. Well, it's it's we don't know if I wouldn't say there's necessarily a historical record of it being practiced with it, but recently it has been uh, discovered that psilocybin can be recycled. It it definitely comes out in the urine and can be recycled. Hmm. Interesting. Your listener mentioned uh, Clark Heinrich in, in his book. Uh, he mentioned a, an art. Which book? Strange, Strange Fruit, that one? Yeah. Uh, okay. It's, it's a, an art called Titans, the Connell of the Andreans. And uh, in it, there's there's the humunculus, which is the, the little man or the little boy who you see on the fountains usually. And he's urinating, as usual. And he's urinating into a, uh, a river of wine. And people are scooping this wine up into pitchers and consuming it. So the the symbolism of drinking the urine is 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 hidden in artwork as well. And Clark does point that out. Hmm. Interesting. All right, look, it's uh, just about the top of the hour here. Let me do a quick ID. It's my condition to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, eighty nine point five FM. 26th of December now, two thousand six. My guests are Andrew Rutaji and Jan Irvin of www.gnosticmedia.com. We're talking about the shamanic symbolism in Christmas, among other things. So we'll continue along those lines. All right, you guys, um, let's see here. Uh, well, I just had a note from somebody online that uh, 
I was looking forward to. That's great. Okay. Uh, sorry about that. It's weird. I it's look easy in, to stray. Yeah, I look, I look into the into this chat room, and it's like there's this whole you know sidebar conversation going on as they're listening to us, and sometimes it's easy to uh, to get lost over there as well. So, anyway, no, a qu- <laughs> sorry, you guys. Uh, Andrew, <laughs> a, qu- a question uh, comes up here. Uh, people are asking a little bit about uh, about James Arthur, and somebody says actually, is Andrew now the custodial agent? I gather for James's work. Uh, you may want to bring that up. So I'm not sure if you want to go there. I know there was some controversy about James and his uh, sort of untimely departure, but uh, uh, comments if you'd like. Custodial agent. I guess that's an interesting one. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, they wrote it. I'm just reading it. <laughs> no, no. That's, that's Yeah, you know, I mean, he and I were friends. Uh, I live living in Dallas, and he lived in California. We We would talk every now and then and share our research together and uh, I guess. He, yeah, he was sort of considered the you know the man with regard to the Amanita at least at least from from what I knew for a while at least well yeah you know Jan and I were on the same page but we weren't really going out and seeking interviews and, and mm. things like that we mm-hmm. were doing our own thing and mm-hmm. yeah it, to pick up the torch and run with it sure uh, you can Say that if you want. It's the same. It's the same research. We're all, you know, yeah, Heinrichs doing it too. We're all in the same area. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't really have an official uh, uh, field. Right. You know? We're just, you know, we're sort of the one, you know, like a lot of other people, just like Manley Hall and a lot of others, just sort of bring in a lot of uh, research from different areas, just like uh, Joseph Campbell as well. Mm-hmm. But I think I mentioned in your last show that, yeah, you know, James Arthur did a lot of uh, bad things that, uh, you know, we had hoped that a court case would be able to prove or uh, disprove, but, uh, you know, his uh, decision to uh, remove himself from the theater, uh, you know, changed our minds, you know, and, uh, you know, I I think that he probably did a lot of the things that he was accused of. It's unfortunate that, uh, you know, that, that that stuff was done, but uh, yeah, you know, he's uh, definitely created a, a stigma on his uh, research. Right. Is there any of, of his uh, information that uh, that hasn't been released to the public or anything like that? I know he had some videos and stuff that people question about. Uh, he has some videos that uh, they're on MySpace. Actually, if you go search for his name, you can find some of the stuff on MySpace that was recently uh, released. Isn't it amazing, by the way, this whole MySpace, YouTube, Google, I mean, just how the 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 release of, I mean, now it doesn't matter who you are. If you've got an old 8-track or an old videotape, I mean, you can get it up on the web now. Yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling. It is remarkable. Embrace it. Yeah, I know. Jump on, man. Like my friend Jay Widener says, he's like, you know, you better surf the wave or you're going to get smashed by it. Uh, just to answer your question real quickly, yeah, there there were uh, some works of of James that that have gone unpublished, and we do hope to get them published. It's it's just kind of tricky how to go about doing that. So. Okay. It's in the works. someday soon, hopefully, it'll emerge somehow. Yeah. All right. All right. Look, um, I just have a personal question. You two, I I haven't asked yet. You know, how did you guys get together? What's your history? 
Well, uh, a mutual friend uh, introduced us, and, um, you know, we just sort of, hey, you know, we're in the same field of research. I got a call from Andy one day and introduced himself, and we just uh, started talking and hit it off right away and realized that our research pretty much was right uh, right in line with each other. And, um, you know, uh, decided to continue it through writing and, and putting the video together. Yeah, we started writing together right away. Are you are you into mycology or are you just in this for the academic purposes? Pardon me? Are you into mycology or or, or you just do it for the academic side? Uh, well, I'm I'm not a mycologist at all. I'm I'm more into you know it's it's kind of weird to, to say this, but to say that I'm into the occult, but it's it's understanding the things that were hidden from us, and that's my field. Is well, that's the, what a cult means. It means hidden. Well, right? Yeah, but I try to expose that. You know, the occult, the church is the occult because they're the ones that are hiding all this stuff. Huh. We're the ones that are trying to expose it. So, you know, uh, yeah, you know and it's, like I said a second yeah, ago, I didn't really have a field that we are into. It's sort of uh, archaeoastronomy, anthropology, archaeology, mythology, <laughs> You know, so many uh, uh, different fields brought uh, brought in together, as well as uh, ethnobotany and ethnomycology, et cetera. But, you know, neither of us claim to be uh, mycologists. You know, we could be considered uh, ethno- and entheomycologists and botanists. Um, but, uh, you know, we also study a lot of other things, too. We We pull from so many different areas, and I know a lot of, uh, mainstream academic researchers uh, cringe at that sort of thing, but you know we we definitely pull some support from academics as well. Okay, all right. We um, we breached on something there a second ago that we have to continue with uh, because there are people that are asking, and I'm curious as well. Uh, do your guests believe that the church, Rome, etc., know about the mushroom mystery? And if so, why did they use the bread wine and not the true sacrament? In, well, other words, a, the, in other words, the mushroom. You want that one, Andy? Well, it's really a can of worms. We could talk about that for an hour. Well, let's do it. In, a, in a word, uh, control. <laughs> control. Well, I mean, well, well. The, the first question. So, you, in other words, you do believe that they know about it today? Is that that, is that what you're saying? Because we know that they knew about it. All right. So they knew about it, and then, but I mean, okay. So if they well, do, we have. Do we have empirical evidence to say that they know about it today? Absolutely not. No. Um, you know, Michael Hoffman, who runs EgoDeath.com, can show uh, well up into the 1700s. Uh, Dan Merker, who wrote a book called The Mystery of Mana, talks about bringing it up into at least the 13th century uh, that he can show it in. And he actually decided uh, not to research it any further up to modern times. He sort of hints about it in his book, but says that he didn't want to uh, upset current political climates by researching it any further into modern times, so whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Well, not um, to mention John Allegro and everything that happened with the Dead Sea Scrolls, they, they know about it. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, they have to know about it, um, you know, from what Allegro did, and uh, they certainly took every opportunity to, to suppress uh, John Allegro's website. And speaking of Allegro... Uh. I uh, wanted to announce that we've uh, launched a new uh, John Allegro website with uh, John Allegro's family. 
And so this is the official John Allegro website. It's at John, www.johnallegro.org. Uh, if anybody wants to check that out, the website's not finished yet. We're still getting uh, articles and things put together and uh, more material and images. And uh, uh, it's just a very raw, rough draft of the website right now. But it's it's up, and your listeners can look into that because he's really a pivotal piece of the research and understanding this information. And uh, his work was largely marginalized. <clears throat> Um, John Allegro was a was one of the original members of the Dead Sea Scrolls translation team, and he came across Gordon Wasson's research and uh, uh, Professor Ramsbottom's research from the uh, London Botanical Museum, and went off uh, connecting the dots of uh, the history of Christianity with uh, the mushroom worship, and he pulled it together with both astrotheology and fertility worship. So our our book, Astrotheology and Shamanism, is really dedicated to him and uh, and his research. All right. Well, that's that's actually wonderful news, and I and it's a good time for me to thank you for putting me in touch with Judy Brown, by the way, because I did speak with her, and and we're 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 somehow going to get some recorded material from her and and air it on the program here. So thank you so much for putting me in touch with her, and and Great. and also uh, Jack Herrer, uh, who's who's another amazing. Uh, man who who I've spoken to recently and I'm going to try to do something with and you know he has his own uh, situation that we have to work around but uh, but he's an amazing amazing person yeah I've known Jack for uh, most of my life just about it seems these days since <laughs> uh, my late teens or early 20s I've known him hmm. let's say something here just a second to get back to your listeners uh, question uh, at a question that I don't know the answer to, but I think to narrow it down and be a little bit more specific is not not do they uh, know about the Amanita, but are they currently using it? Wow, that's a more relevant question, huh? What do you well, think? Because we know that they know about it mm-hmm. because of the books that have been written, and they're not ignorant. And they're up to date. They have to. That's their job. But hey, the the Vatican houses the largest library in the huh. world with. With you know, they basically stole a lot of the ancient texts during the Inquisitions and the wars. And yeah, and, tell me about uh, it. It's funny. I I uh, I've told this story sort of briefly on the air before, but you know, I was brought up a Roman Catholic, and I went to the, you know, I was an altar boy the whole bit. You know, went to school and through high school, all Catholic the whole bit. When I was when I was 19, I went to Rome, and one of the first things I did was try to get into the Vatican Library, and of course I was unsuccessful, <laughs> and uh, that was the end of my. Catholic adventure, you know. <laughs> really, I mean, I, I was basically when I said, "Well, hey, you know, I'm a card carrying Catholic. I, I lit the candles and everything, and you won't let me in. How come, right?" And and then I began to do my own research into why they wouldn't let me in there, and then it became more and more clear. But at any rate, uh, yeah, very interesting. The, the the library, not to mention the art, and the the I mean, just so so much there at the Vatican that is sort of hands off for for all of us. Yeah, even if you could read the language. Yeah, yeah, even if you could. Allegro could. He, he definitely yeah. could. All right, well, uh, I think let's take another break, okay, you guys? Sure. All right, everybody, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. My guests are Jan Irvin and Andrew <laughs> Rutaji. 
We'll be back with them. They're the authors of Astrotheology and Shamanism. They've also created and uh, uh, presented the video called The Pharmacratic Inquisition. I suggest you check both of them out. And on the web at www.gnosticmedia, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, media, M-E-D-I-A, dot com. All right, we'll play another song here from iTom Lab. Great stuff here. This one's called Refracted Visions. Fitting stuff from this new band that, uh, that Jan turned me on to. So we'll be back in just a minute. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. Back in a few.
Tom Lab, that's Refracted Visions. And this is Mike, you're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. My guests are Jan Irvin and Andrew Rutaji. We're talking to them about hmm, lots of different things. We started off talking about Christmas symbology, and I think we'll probably eventually get back there. We've been wandering around here and there in between, but talking about the significance of the sacred mushroom, the Amanita muscaria in particular tonight, and... Uh, We'll get right back to him. Hi, you guys. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, thanks. Okay. Um, well, there are a number of things that we can uh, grab from here, and I'm trying to decide how how, how deeply I want to go into the madness. Um, there are questions about uh, the book. Well, actually, I'm not even sure if it is a book. It's called The Dark Secrets of Catholicism. And it was a project that was done with, uh, I think that you guys did with Jack Hare, James Arthur. And I think, was was Joe Rogan involved in that? What's the story with Joe Rogan? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think you're talking about a recording that I did uh, several years right, ago. Right, not a book, it was, but something that yeah, was online. A it was actually the first day I had met uh, James Arthur. I recorded that, and uh, I was over at Jack's place, and... Uh, I met Jim that day over at one of his lectures. I went over to hear what he had to say on his research and then, uh, you know, uh, was headed over to Jack's and invited him there. And then Joe Rogan showed up, so we decided to do a recording. And, um, you know, that's how, uh, that's basically uh, how it went. You know, the recording, and it was originally 10 or 12 hours. I think I edited it down to about seven hours when I, uh, Finally put it out there, but um, it's probably still floating around online. If anybody wants to know about it, they can find it online. Okay. Uh, there's a question here about, not really a question, but something I'm going to f- sort of form into a question. The relation between alchemy and uh, the stuff that we're talking about tonight is a, is, is a connection that can be made. And, um, well, I, I won't expand any further. Would you guys like to say anything about that? Um, sure, it's a connection that can be made. Awesome. Um, we're, we're talking about symbolism, and 
all alchemy really is. I mean, it, it, it can be seen as uh, the knowledge that comes from these. This is the gnosis that comes from the experience. And the alchemist had that gnosis. So. Where did he get it? Exactly. Hmm. What makes the shaman different than the, the rest of uh, the tribe or the community? He has the access to other realms. It's it's the knowledge of the access to those mm-hmm. other realms. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's the that's the heart of of alchemy is is the gnosis, the knowledge of the plants and and how to uh, and and metals. You know, this is you have to think of the time that when when alchemy was popular, it wasn't just just shamanism. You know, before that, they were limited to just the plants, but the alchemists had the metals as well. Right. But, yeah, you know, you think of, like, if you take a triangle and you want to give it attributes and you can make a whole symbol out of this pyramid or delta or whatever you want to call it. But then you get into alchemy and you have a whole page of or a whole canvas of, of art and symbols. So the, the next natural stage to go up from that is a deity. It's kind of this intermediary area between a simple symbol you have the artwork and then the deity it's all kind of the same thing it's just someone trying to express something tangible through uh, artwork how much of it do you think is out there uh, unrecognized no by by everyone well I mean there's a certain amount that's now recognized, even by you know by people like yourselves who are really looking for this sort of thing. But do you think there's? I mean, are you seeing it all? No, no. You you have to be. So I think it would take a team of people to to understand and and, and grasp it all, especially in the time that we are now. And so much of it is hidden. Well, it is an, uh, a, a remarkable story. And that's just because it, 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 it encompasses so many fields. I mean, you could get into occult anatomy and spend your life studying anatomy and how you know, the, the body works its way into nature. Or you could study botany and mycology or astronomy. It's, it's Like I said, it would take a, a team of people for a lifetime. All right. All right, so this brings me to the question of, well, and it, it ties into astrotheology because why is the knowledge being released now? Well, I mean, maybe that's not the right language, but why are we learning or relearning or rediscovering this stuff now? There's an explosion of it. I mean, I'm get, I can't keep up with the people on the chat page. YouTube and this, that. Have you seen this video of that? Have you seen... Have you read? I mean, and it's all related to the stuff we're talking about tonight, you know, in some way, shape, or form. So you guys talk about, you know, the changing of an age and this sort of thing. I mean, are we really on the cusp of something like that? Is that the way you see it? And is that, I mean, th- this flood of information, not just about... It's nice mushroom. to believe. I mean, certainly... You know, <laughs> there's, yeah. no, there's no proof of it, but it's, uh, you know, it makes for... Uh, Nice philosophical meandering, I suppose. Of course, Terrence were here to answer that one. 
<laughs> yeah, well, Terrence would say that time wave zero proves it, and uh, then there's you know then there's a couple of different arguments for and against time wave zero, etc. But right, 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 right. You know, and I know uh, Ian Lungold and a lot of others uh, tried to make an association with 2012 and things like that, but can we prove it? It's probably not until it happens. You know, maybe something will, maybe something won't, but uh, you know, we'll find out when it does. Make it happen. Yeah, I mean, you sort of uh, something's happening. I'll tell you that much. I mean, and yeah. there and and there there really is a a, a tremendous amount of interest uh, in this stuff, more so than you know. It's sort of like a revivification of what was happening in the '60s and the '70s, but this time it's more informed. You know yeah. what I'm you know what I'm saying? I mean, back then, people thought they were sort of discovering it for the first time. They had no for the most part, no knowledge of shamanism and these ancient traditions that, uh, you know, that, that, that were the basis of all of these other religions. But they had the feeling. Yeah, they had the feeling, but now they actually have the, they got some, yeah. you know, they got some meat behind it too. Anyway, it's amazing. What do you, uh, what do you see uh, on the horizon? You guys say you're working on a new book, uh, but, uh, I mean, in general, as far as the, 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 Pop culture and the and the and the way the the world is working right now. You know, when you look at current events and stuff, I'm sort of interested in your your perspective on what you see. Well, I I see what you're you've been saying. Information age is is exploding, and I think that's why this stuff is 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 surfacing and and being accepted. I mean, think about it. We're saying some pretty crazy stuff without. You know, time to explain ourselves. Uh, it's borderline. It's just. It sounds crazy to just talk about Jesus and psychedelics in the same sentence. <laughs> and and now people are actually going, okay, well, I'll hear you out because it's so easy to do. You can just click and listen and, and right and go look at John Allegro. You want to know? You want to know who John Allegro was? Go yeah. look at John Allegro, and then you'll find out it's not just a bunch of silliness, you know. And you can bail out. Whenever you get tired, and, and hopefully, you know, this information, at least in my opinion, I don't get tired of it because it's so, hmm. it makes so much sense and it hits home. Yeah, it's liberating too. You know, speaking of Terrence, you know, he said, I don't know if he was the first one to say it, but I remember him saying, you know, when we do get the truth, it will be beautiful. Yeah. You know. We start out our video uh, saying that a quote, Terrence McKenna quoting. Who was it that he was quoting again, John? You know that. Uh, I don't remember who was the original quote, but John Haldane, or I don't know. Yeah. No, that's, it, no, that was a different quote. But if the truth could be explained in a way that could be understood, yeah. it, it will, will be, be revealed. revealed. Yeah, if the truth that, can be yeah. told in the way to be understood. It will. It will be, be revealed. It will be believed. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's easier when yeah. you read. It was William Blake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Wow. All right. Yeah, well, well um, what about uh, what about all the people that are outside of the scope of this stuff? I mean, like you say, for to 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 many people, you know, there's a lang there's a language barrier to begin with. I mean, if somebody turns on this program right now, we're not we're not going to offend most people because they're not even going to know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah. In other words, words like amanita, psilocybin, but they catch a few here and there, and they go, well, what what is this? That's that's why the But I mean, in in a general sense, do you think that there's a huge gap between 
sort of the the people that are learning about these things and 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 people who aren't i mean and is it is it is it as small a percentage as I think it is that are that are getting tuned into this it, it, yeah <laughs> it, is. it is and I've found in my own personal life it's just being able to uh talk about it is almost impossible, especially oh. you know I live in Dallas, Texas, so mm-hmm. It makes it a little bit more difficult. Sometimes people have a set mindset that they don't even want to hear anything different, let alone something that talks about psychedelics. Hmm. <laughs> All right, here's a good one from the web. What does the Amanita Muscaria have to teach us? This is sort, well, sort of where the rubber hits the road. Why should people be even be interested in this? Yeah, well, well you know, really well, the, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's it has a lot to do with uh, the, you know the foundations of religion and understanding where these myths that we hold to for so many thousand or uh, you know so many centuries uh, where they come from and it really shows us our origins um, and what each individual learns if they decide to undertake their use uh, you know that. That can be a different story, but uh, I would say they teach us about ourselves. They teach us about what it what it is to be human, and it really gives us an understanding uh, from an experiential level where the religions came from. And I think that is really important because you have all of these people and societies and governments and religions all at war with each other, and uh, Pretty much religion is the primary thing used as a tool to separate people, but if everyone understood that all the, all of the religions were based on sex, drugs, and uh, star worship, there probably wouldn't be uh, a whole lot left to fight about. So, you know, you know it's, uh, <laughs> the shaman will, will practice for death, and this, this kind of ties into uh, reincarnation, but the practicing for death prepares you for your actual death, and these Plants that will, you know, bring about a, a, a death-like experience, it's like a death and rebirth experience. So, you you get that chance in your life to uh, not only just to practice for death, but you you pass judgment on yourself. You know, when you're dying, that's kind of the the life flashing before your eyes experience mm-hmm. that you get. So, when you see your life, your entire life flashing before your eyes, and you you pass judgment on yourself and when you're born again or you're born anew, uh, you, you see the world differently the next day. So that's, you know, I've often said that you can't conquer death without practicing for the event. So that's one reason. And, and another reason is because the people that, that, that started these celebrations and traditions that we practice today, they didn't have bottles of champagne at the grocery store that they could just run out and grab. You know, they went to the medicine man and they practiced, you know, went to the shaman who practiced with the plants and that's where they got their drugs for the, for the festivities. And that's, you know, that's what we write about. That's, we try to bring that connection together. The initiations, the celebrations, and all these things that were based on celestial events and the drugs that they used to use in the festivities. So there's different levels of inebriation. Right, right. 
All right, look, let's take another short break here, and then we'll come back. We'll have about another 20 minutes or so, and we can uh, get a few more questions in and then uh, wrap things up, okay? Sounds good. All right. Hey, uh, wonderful stuff, everybody. We've got Jan Irvin and Andrew Rutaji on the line with us, the authors of Astrotheology and Shamanism. You can find the book and information about them and the work they do on the web at www.gnosticmedia.com. That's gnosticmedia.com. You can always link over there from my site at www.mikehagan, H-A-G-A-N.com. All right, let's see. We're going to hear one uh, from, uh, well, it's from ITOM Lab, but uh, we've got a little bit of vocalization here from our friend Jan in the back of this one. So check it out. This one's called 5-methoxy-N-N-D-M-T. Thank you. 
ICOM Lab. This is Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. We're going to have to ask Jan about ITOM Lab. All right, you guys, it's late. At least it's late here, and I know it's late for Andrew. It's not that late for Jan, but uh, thanks very much for sticking around. It's been a great show. You're welcome. Yeah, it's early. Yeah, it's still early, actually. You know, there's, <laughs> m- m- most of us are night owls anyway. So, uh, what, uh, Jan, what's your connection to ITOM Lab? It's cool music, and uh, there's some great, uh, some great samples of your voice and some of the stuff. Well, he's uh, somebody that contacted me a couple of years ago and just asked if I wanted to put something together. I talked to him every now and again. Um, went down, uh, did a little recording with him down in San Diego. Uh, oh, I suppose it was September-ish of 2005, and then that came out this year. All right, really cool stuff. And by the way, I need to clarify one thing that people were asking on the web. Uh, who's Judy Brown? Judy Brown is John Allegro's daughter. Yes, exactly. So, uh, sorry, we should have made that clear. But anyway, she's an interesting and wonderful woman, at least in the, in the brief uh, contact that I've had with her. And I know you guys are, are probably getting more and more close. Yeah. All right, you guys, let's see. Um I was going to mention real quick, if anybody wants to uh, download that uh, the ITOM Lab stuff, I believe it's available on our website for download. Yeah, it's in there somewhere, because that's where you pointed me to get it. I forget. I got it a while back, but it's worth getting. Right. In your media, maybe, or in the multimedia? I think it's on the events. I think it might be on the events page on the main website. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll make it available, a link uh, from our site as well. When, uh, after the show here, okay? You got it. All right, everybody, let's see. Uh, do the guys think that the Amanita mushroom has a connection to the 2012 notion? 
And I guess by that they mean this whole idea that you know we were talking about Terence earlier. We know the psilocybin uh, mushroom gave Terence and others uh, some insights into this sort of something happening in the not too distant future. Does the Amanita point to anything like that? Well, you know, when you say the the whole 2012 issue, that I think that kind of comes up to an understanding of of this whole gnosis that we were talking about, you know. So yes, in that in that light, it does because we're talking about um, a mass initiation into the oldest of the mystery schools. So yeah, really, the Amanita plays a large part in that because of the uh, understanding that people get. Hmm. Wow, amazing. Okay, let's see what else do we have here. Well. Let me ask you a question about uh, 5-methoxy. People say, what is that? That's another one of these different compounds, and even a little oh. bit more obscure. 5-methoxy, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's... Uh, we talked that's about it a little bit, one. actually, didn't we? Um, we actually talked about it a little bit on the last show, but anyway, go, yeah, go I ahead. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think that show, did you just play the show? Uh, I think the song that you actually saw in that show that you just played was... Uh, me describing the 5-methoxy DMT experience, uh, I think, like I said in that track there, it's like going from the Big Bang to the end of time. You pretty much invert everything inside out and back again. And uh, all in a few minutes, and then you're you're back again. It's, it's basically being put into a cannon and fired through uh, whatever... The subconscious of, of humankind is, or the collective subconscious, even the guy in conscious, because you definitely feel that you're connected to everything all at the same time when you go through that. It's just, uh, it's, it can be an ama- one of the most amazing, and simultaneously, it could be one of the most frightening experiences <laughs> you've ever gone through, and I've had both with it. <laughs> I had uh, back-to-back, in fact. Uh, I had tried it several years ago, and and uh, the first time I did it, it was just amazing. And then I did it again uh, oh, 20 or 30 minutes later, and it was probably, you know, there was uh, just trying to try a little bit of the residue left in the pipe, which uh, ended up being 10 times more than necessary, and um, so it was quite the harrowing experience, to say the least. <laughs> Now, dimethyltryptamine exists naturally in our brain, right. and it's illegal. <laughs> There's a paradox for you, huh? Yeah. It's not yeah. that, so... Yeah, yeah it's, you uh, know, it, it, it's funny um, that you mention that, because I did a show with Dennis uh, McKenna and Richard Glenn Boyer, who's an attorney, and he's the guy that runs the Center for Cognitive Liberty. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but you should get familiar yeah, with... Yeah, okay. Look at him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's real cool, and... Uh, Anyway, we were talking about about that exact uh, you know problem, the fact that you know that we all have a schedule one substance in our in our brains and that exists in our normal metabolism all the time. And uh, somebody asked about you know could you, could you actually create a legal uh, take a legal position here? In other words, you know how could how could this be? Uh, an illegal substance, because not only are we holding, but so are the judges. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the cops and the DEA and everybody else. So um, anyway, I thought it was an interesting thing. And obviously there are all kinds of, of, of problems that are coming up pharmacologically, you know, just because so many things are being invented and discovered that there's just no way to handle all this stuff. They're, they're creating double binds for everything, you know? Yeah. The only way to handle it is to accept it, I think. Well, it's eventually, you know, whether it's legal or not, that's what's going to have to happen because there's no way to stop it. Yeah. And the question, I think it seems, or at least one of the questions is, you know, do you go to Merck, you know, uh, or, or Eli Lilly to get your your goods and do it that way with, I don't know, you know, the pharmaceutical versions of, you know, they're always trying to Im- impersonate plants. That's where all these things come from to begin with. And then they try to illegalize the plant, you know. Yeah, and demonize the shaman. And demonize the shaman who told them about it to begin with. Right, exactly. Um and there's actually been a couple of studies that came out uh, this year, one uh, from John Hopkins University about uh, uh, psychedelic, uh, especially psilocybe mushrooms. They said it uh, likens to the, to the death and rebirth experience or the mystical experience, but, you know, it's... Uh, if you start researching, it's obvious that they're the exact same experience. There's no separation between the two. But, um, you know, it's uh, there's a, actually another study, I think, that just came out this last week on psilocybe mushrooms as well. Oh, the Johns Hopkins report that came out in July was just a stunner, you know. Yeah, it was. And, I mean, it had legs. It was all over the world, and it still is. I mean, there was no, I mean now it's like, it's sort of like, hey, I, you know, I got Johns Hopkins behind me. What, what else do you need? It's the number one medical institution in the country, Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what, I mean what, what else am I supposed to do? You, you, you want experts? Other Here's your experts. Right. And, well, uh, you know, and it's just to me, you know, and, but it's, it's, it's nothing new because the, uh, the Harvard studies of LSD, and in fact, Timothy Leary did mm-hmm. a lot of groundbreaking studies back in the 60s on yeah. LSD and on yeah. psilocybin. And, mm-hmm. you know, so none of this stuff is new. They, mm-hmm. you know, and there was the, uh, uh, Rick Doblin, I think, and a couple other people. Uh, the Good Friday experiment that happened way back uh, in the 60s mm-hmm. on on mushrooms. They put a bunch of people in a church on Good Friday and gave half of them a placebo and the other half uh, uh, psilocybin, and uh, you know, and and took note of their experiences. But yeah, in fact, this week. Uh, the study came out and showed psilocybin to be beneficial for obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We and, posted uh, it in the forum, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the difference is back then in the 60s, not everyone, not anyone, nobody had a, a web page or podcast or right. YouTube and all of this. So right, right. it was easier to just sweep all that stuff under the rug where now if you want to shine a light on this, you can, you can at your in your house. Right, no doubt about so. it. Amazing, amazing. You know, you you mentioned the work that Tim Timothy Leary was doing. Uh, you, you know, with regard to alcoholism alone, the mm-hmm. the results of his work were astonishing, and 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 could yeah. have helped so many people over these well, 34 about, years. You know, 
how about his studies of uh, prisons and, know, uh, know, and, and return know. criminals? He he reversed the numbers from 85% return criminal rate down to uh, reversed it to 15%. So mm, I know, and um, you know, so that was pretty tragic. But uh, well, how you know, are you going to keep the prisons full? You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, especially when they're for-profit corporations these days. You, know, you, you got have it, to find guys. criminals somewhere. You got it. But, um, you know, Timothy Leary, unfortunately, was wrapped up in, with the CIA, and he sold out a, his, you know, his family and you know, wife or girlfriend or, you know, a lot of stuff like that, too. And I, had, I knew Timothy Leary very briefly and uh, gone over to his house and things once or, once or twice, but... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's rather unfortunate that the the negative attention that he brought to the whole movement. If they went about it in a, in a different way, instead of being spasmodic about the uh, entire thing, it would have probably went off a lot better. Um, you know, I think the approach to entheogens now is far more academic and understanding and realizing that this is the oldest religion and not something new like the the 60s hippies thought that they had just discovered something brand new and now we understand it's a lot more uh, as a core thing and hopefully we've abandoned a lot of the new age uh, uh, junk that goes uh, new age stigma that came with that movement it's actually it's older than religion it's it's you know it's nature it's just a reflection of nature it's just expressed with religion all right, another one for you here. Uh, there's a lot of interest in this comparison between Amanita and psilocybin. And there's a question here that says, uh, has your research found any information on a quote-unquote speaking voice inside the Amanita, inside the Amanita which is, uh, is said to occur with the Strafaria, when they mean, you know, the psilocybin cubensis or Strafaria cubensis. You know, and certainly there are people that report Strafaria psilocybin mushrooms sort of you can converse with it that they rave they talk to you I don't know exactly what he's talking about and or she whoever you're <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah no, I can't I, deny I, it myself either I, I would have to agree that I know exactly what the person is referring to so but the, not with the Amanita no no okay I don't um, know y'all may have a different answer but. well you know I'm uh I'm not as big an Amanita expert as uh, as far as its use as I'd like to be. I've definitely experienced it a number of times, but uh, I, you know, with psilocybin, I've had a lot of in-depth uh, experience with it and and uh, working with it and trying to understand it, but not near as much so with Amanita. I've got a, a good friend of mine. Uh, Ben out here who's also on our forum who's really a, a great Amanita expert. If anybody's interested, I recommend going to our forum and uh, striking up a conversation and maybe getting him to, to help on, on that issue on a lot more depth. Okay. And that's at uh, the forum that's hooked up there with GnosticMedia.com. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Let's talk um, just briefly a little bit about the video. There's so much talk about it out there on the web. Speaking of, you know, proliferation of information, it's an amazing thing. And I didn't want to finish the program, even though we've been talking primarily about the holidays and this sort of thing. Uh, certainly lots of this material that we've covered tonight is involved or, or represented in uh, the Pharmacratic Inquisition. So talk a little bit about how you guys, 
you know, came up with that. I mean, it's a pretty, I mean, it's pretty straightforward the way you did it, but it's, there's an extensive amount of information in that. Well, it makes me feel good that you say that there's a lot of people talking about the video. Whether it's good or bad, it's just, I, I kind of, uh, it, the video was made as a demo in order for us to try to get funding so we could write our book or continue to write our book. And we uh, had very little time to put it together in as well, so <laughs> and it like kind a of weekend. <laughs> well, it's more about, what's, more about what's inside it, I think, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think no, you're, you know, you, you're, you're your own worst critic, you know? <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. And I think our, our book is a lot better, and we still find things that we nitpick in our book about, you know, I want to put out a second edition to fix a couple minor errors in it, you know, but uh, and there are errors probably in the video. be done soon. Yeah, Here's, we have an error list up on the website uh, that anybody can go to. It, you know, it's, got a, it's also on the forum um, up there, but it's linked from the PharmacraticInquisition.com website. This is a list of known errors right there on the website. You can, your listeners can click that and read all the things that people have proven, uh, you know, or that we've also researched and agreed upon that were wrong in the, in the video and corrected sense in the book or, or otherwise. Okay. Well, the general sense of what's being uh, presented there, I think, is is pretty accurate from from uh, from a lot of things that I've looked at over a lot of years. So anyway, I appreciate you guys doing it. Uh, let's see. We'll squeeze a couple more in here. What do you think of Salvia Divinorum? I think about it. Know anything about it? Yeah. Uh, special little plant. She is divine sage. <laughs> they call it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, it's a, just. Uh, it's a very fast-acting psychedelic that's sweeping the country right now, and uh, the lawmakers don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so, get it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of. <laughs> unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, ignorance around it too. Like, uh, you know, there was some kid last year, two years ago, that uh, committed suicide after, uh, you know, he had experienced salvia, and then later on. Six months, a year later, you know, and he had talked to his parents about his salvia experience, and he said, uh, you know, I understand the meaning of life now, and, uh, you know, I don't need to live anymore or whatever. And then, you know, six months or a year later, he commits suicide in his parents' garage with the car, with asphyxiation. And, uh, you know, so what do the, you know, what do the parents do? They go out and start this uh, big story that it was the salvia, right, that right. without that, he would have never uh, committed suicide, and he was a happy child, you know, and I would beg to differ that uh, if his childhood was that happy and his understanding and communication with his parents was that strong, um, you know, he <laughs> probably, probably wouldn't, wouldn't have, have uh, did right. what he did, but, you know, that's just speaking from a psychological standpoint, so I don't know. Right, and again, all these things are subjective. I mean, they're individual. That's, I mean, the one that if, if the yeah. psychedelics do anything, it's they address you as an individual, so you really can't yeah. generalize. So. Excuse yeah. me, well, sarcasm there. <laughs> It does. It goes back to the gnosis. You can't just pick these things up and mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. do what you want. You have to have the knowledge and understand. Right. You know, smoke salvia while you're driving down the street and watch what happens. Right. You know. All right. Okay. One more. We're going to squeeze one more in here, um, and it's a good way to finish up. I think. What would Jan and Andrew like their audience? Maybe it's not a great way to, pre to present it. What would Jan and Andrew uh, uh, consider that their audience do with the information? that you've uncovered. What are we supposed to do with this now? Obviously, Spread it around. Spread it. <laughs> That's the obvious answer. Go find more people. Okay. Well, 
you know, it's it's really up to the individual. Um, you know, people ask what uh, we think about 2012 and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, I suppose if we wanted to bring an end to a lot of carnage and have an understanding, uh, having a global understanding of religion and how all of these things are, are related to each other and how there's not much difference other than on the surface in the, in the various religions, um, I think the world would be a lot more peaceful place, or, or maybe we would just find something else to fight about, but hopefully it would be our human nature to evolve and to uh, stop fighting and quibbling over, over these silly religions that are all based on, uh, same stuff. On, on the psychedelic experience and on sun and star worship and on fertility worship. Hmm. Remarkable. Uh, I'll answer that this way and say that uh, everything that we study seems to somehow not stray too far from Christmas and our customs that we practice today, even Easter and things like this and Halloween. So the, the best way to communicate this information with people is to find just one little aspect of it that you can really relate to and strike up a conversation or wait for a conversation to arise and mm-hmm. just stick that into the conversation and watch people's reaction. It's <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, yeah, I've seen it a few times. Trust they me. want to know more. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, look, you guys, you're doing a great job of sharing information and giving people more. So uh, my hat's off to you, and thanks so much. Uh, it's been wonderful. And we'll uh, thank you. We'll stay in touch. We'll do it again, okay? Yeah, thanks for having right. us on. Yeah, All right. definitely. Thank you. You bet. Enjoy the rest of the evening, okay? You too. You too. All right, everybody, that's Jan Irvin and Andrew Rutaji, the authors of Astro Theology and shamanism on the web, www.gnosticmedia.com. And you can link over there from MikeHagan.com from here on out, certainly. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much again to Jan and Andrew for a wonderful program, lots of amazing information. Uh, and it's just the tip of the iceberg, trust me. There's so much. You know, uh, Andrew and I were talking before the program about how much of this is visual and how much of this stuff you know, is so much more easily grasped if you can see it, you know, the images. You should see the images of, you know, some of these things as they're represented in artwork and, uh, you know, the everything down to the, the, the wardrobes of, of cardinals and popes and this sort of thing, you know. So, anyway, more to talk about in the future with those guys. Great stuff, and uh, we'll make sure we get them back on the air in the future, okay? All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. Thanks to everybody who listened to the program, everybody participating there in the chat room and uh, uh, listening wherever you may be. Thanks so much. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. we got the new year coming up next week. We'll have Rick Levine with us and uh, talk about 2007 and beyond. And I hope everybody has a wonderful week in between. All right, enjoy yourselves. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Solstice. Happy astro-theological, archaeological, psychedelic, angelic New Year. There you go. How about that? This one's called Perfect Paradigm. It's iTom Lab. This is Mike Hagan. You've been listening to Radio Orbit. (laughs) 